0: Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world dedicated to celebrating helicopter explosions in film. Now, in 2015, a movie monster has been chewing up box office records all summer. It's ripped the throat out of the opposition and stomped all over its bodily remains. In doing so, it's earned the position as the number one grossing film of the year. Yet we're talking about the undisputed alpha male of the blockbuster season, Jurassic World. And talking of dinosaurs, I'm joined by a man whose prehistoric opinions and fossilised movie tastes make him the perfect guest for this show. With me today is Kobe Omanaka. Welcome to the show, Kobe.
1: <laughs> That's one of the best uh, introductions I've ever heard to anyone. So uh, I feel very very honored. Thank you very much, Will.
0: I always like to uh, put in a, a sort of, you know, slight veiled insult uh <laughs> get my guests on the defensive from the get go. How, uh, how do you think I am? <laughs> uh should explain for anyone listening that uh, Kobe and I uh, know each other from uh, we are both uh, teammates on a on a regular film quiz team. And we were, we were a bit off our game last night, weren't we?
1: Yeah, a depleted team and also it kind of, it kind of rolls with the, with the punches of the question. Sometimes it's, it's all in our favor. Unfortunately, last night it wasn't, uh, wasn't to our liking.
0: Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully you're bringing your A game to this, uh, Kobe.
1: I'm ready. I'm ready.
0: Okay. Before we get into the main course of uh, movie chat, I always like to serve up uh, an hors d'oeuvre of filmic conversation by asking uh, if you've seen anything interesting lately. So I'm hoping you'll
1: oblige. Yeah, I've seen a, a couple of good films recently, which I think kind of serve as companion pieces to each other. The last film I saw was Straight Out Compton, the story of NWA and their uh, rise through hip hop over the, over the eighties. And that kind of ties in nicely with the really good documentary I saw a couple of weeks back called Precinct Seventy Five based about the corrupt cops in, in America in the eighties in in New York. And this is all kind of really pertinent relating to all the um against kind of the civil violence that's going on in America at the moment. So I, I thought it was a really good they're both really good stories from told from different sides of the coin. And what's the nature of the police corruption
0: in Precinct Seventy Five?
1: Nature is there's police guys who start in the police force, and they all want to be good cops. But at the same time, they're not earning that much money. And when it becomes apparent that they could, if they turn a blind eye here or give a whisper in someone's ear, that they can make a lot more money doing that, and slowly, kind of, kind of spirals out. And do these corrupt cops? Are
0: they participating in this documentary? Are they, uh, t- do they take part in it?
1: It was fantastic. It's really, really candid. All the cops involved were there, telling their sides of the story, as well as one of the main bad guys in the gangs that I was talking about, it was a Dominican drug lord. Who was extradited after being wound up in the in the scandal but he was there telling the full story from his side it was a really good talking head type documentary really candid really recommended film on that side of things
0: what are the kind of themes that you sort of see in both of those uh, two uh, films that you've mentioned
1: it's the corruption and the cops I mean the NWA's one of the most favorite songs is a song that I can't repeat um, for insight. <laughs> <laughs> for breaking the parental explicit lyrics just in the title. But it pertains to cops being corrupt and, you know, attacking people who are unfairly suited to kind of protect themselves. So it's kind of, it was a really interesting head-to-head.
0: Okay, thanks, Kobe. It's that time where I like to give listeners a handy pricey of the film that we're about to talk about via a short clip from the trailer.
1: Every time we've unveiled a new attraction, attendance has spiked. That was awesome! Corporate felt genetic modification would up the wow factor. They're dinosaurs, wow enough. She was designed to be bigger than the T-Rex. What happened to the sibling? She ate it. <laughs> we have an asset out of containment! What is that? Her tracking implant. She clawed it out. How would it know to do that? She remembered where they put it in.
0: So Jurassic World surely needs a little introduction. It's the fourth instalment in the dinosaur franchise that began back in 1993. The dinosaur theme park envisaged in that first film is now a reality, but with tourists growing bored of the prehistoric attractions, the park's owners have to unveil new and ever more exciting monsters to keep up the ticket sales. To meet this commercial pressure, a dodgy scientist has cooked up a genetically modified uber-dinosaur, the Indominus Rex. Naturally, the mutant monster escapes and begins treating the theme park like a giant all-you-can-eat buffet. Caught up in the carnage are two young brothers visiting their flaky aunt. They team up with the film's hero, a former Navy SEAL-turned-dinosaur researcher. The film stars Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard in the lead roles, and there are supporting turns from Vincent D'Onofrio and B.D. Wong. Kobe, what's your history with the Jurassic Park series and what did you make of this latest entry?
1: It's it's kind of a patchy history. I've only saw, and I'm quite proud to say (laughs) before seeing this one, I only saw the first one. I saw it when it came out in the cinema when I was, you know, it was the first, it was one of the first big blockbuster films I went to see at the cinema. And I thought it was absolutely amazing. 13 years old, I was terrified. I was there with my little brother who was, I think he was like seven at the time. And he was, he could see himself, you know, physically shaking at some (laughs) points. In, in the film, but when the the Lost World and Jurassic Part Three came out, I just wasn't that interested. I think it kind of um, skipped the boat for me because they came out, I think, ninety seven and two thousand and one, and I think I think I was just a bit past it in terms of dinosaurs for me.
0: So your uh, your sort of tastes in becoming more juvenile then, if you've decided to come back in uh, with the fourth film,
1: Curiosity Kill the Cat. I've got to say they, they pull me back in. I'm a big fan of Chris Pratt. Uh, I like. Bryce Dallas Howard's previous work and Vincent D'Onofrio I think it's been superb so you know it really had me hooked in from the start. And how do you think it stacks up against uh, Jurassic Park? Against Jurassic Park it fails. It doesn't fail hard but it does try to really compare itself against the first one and it's I like the way they place themselves against it actually they they made really good use of the time shift. Well, I think it's 20-odd years since the first one came out, wasn't it? So they they really built that into the story. But you can't help but compare against the first one in this. And the way they built that the first park into the story of uh, Jurassic World makes you kind of long for the first one.
0: Well, how good a job do you think they made of bringing this film series back to life? Because it's obviously been about 15 years since we last saw a a Jurassic Park movie.
1: They've done a a decent job, but when we, um, this is something we've talked about quite a lot, is how well films stack up after they've been first released. And uh, one film that always people mention is how well Jurassic Park stacks up in spite of it being 20 odd years old they haven't brought really anything new i think in fact they've taken a few steps back in jurassic world because everything apart from one scene with the dinosaurs is clearly cgi and that's not to uh, berate cgi at all but when you can when you can kind of, when you can plainly see that okay that's a cgi effect that's a cgi effect that's cgi then it kind of really takes you out of the film what were your thoughts on it
0: overall i enjoyed jurassic world i didn't have great expectations from it i mean it's essentially going to be Dinosaurs eating people. Some people, <laughs> some some people will survive, and some people won't. And the fun, like it, lies in uh, finding out who lives, who dies, and the creative ways that they find for getting people to be chewed up. So you know, it delivered on a pretty basic sort of uh, level for me. I did feel that this was really essentially almost like a genetically modified version of the original film because the the essential sort of plot is pretty much the same.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of nods to the first one, a lot of similar beats. And I guess from a big blockbuster point of view, the films and the studios nowadays try and make sure it's a sure thing. A few key points I really enjoyed were certainly the kind of the Jurassic Park overture, the way they use that again and again to inspire and, you know, nod back to the first film. Also bringing, going back to the, you know, in, even to the Jeeps that they use at some points and uh The banner that fell across the um, T Rex at the end of the at the end of the first film that came back into it a few uh, in a couple of ways.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you. I thought there were a lot of nice nods to the original film in here, and you've got one of the characters wearing a a, what looks like a vintage T shirt at one point. They kind of you know a couple of characters are stumbling through the park trying to escape from the dinosaurs, and they find themselves back in the old building from the original sort of Jurassic Park. And I actually thought those moments were quite well handled. They didn't feel overly excessive like the film was becoming kind of lost in its own mythology they were sort of nice nods for those who are familiar with the film but equally if you'd never seen Jurassic Park the characters didn't make that much of it so if you're a fan of the series you kind of enjoy the references but wouldn't get in the way if this was the first kind of Jurassic Park film that you
1: had seen. Yeah it was handled really well as a fan of the the first installment I think it it was a really nice touch
0: I mean, the other major kind of beef I probably had with Jurassic World was... and To be honest, it didn't really spoil my enjoyment of the film, but it did leave me kind of giggling in the opening sort of 20 minutes or so, was essentially how they set up the... Character arcs of the film, and it really felt as if this film had just been made with a, a cookie cutter. And those kind of opening scenes were just—it was just was so obvious—the the various arcs that they were sort of creating for the characters. With Bryce Dallas Howard's character as this sort of cold corporate bent, with the backstory between um, her character and Chris Pratt's, and you sort of you know, in, you know that they are inevitably going to sort of end up in each other's arms by the end of that film, and the kind of the relationship between the two brothers it really felt at the beginning of the film as if this was this script was coming off a production
1: line almost you knew those four the kids and bryce dallas howard and chris pratt were going to be absolutely fine and you knew that from the first incident that, that, that those two were going to get together in some way shape or form well let's talk about the cast and the characters in this movie uh,
0: who stood out for you either for good or bad in terms of the leads or the supporting actors was there anyone you particularly liked or, or didn't like
1: there was no one I hated in terms of the, the character themselves or the actors or the way they played. I thought all the acting was pretty well done. Maybe the, maybe the nanny set up as the English evil anti-hero to Mary Poppins, I guess, was the worst <laughs> the worst character. She she was there on her phone and she was just once she was on Tinder all the time, just chatting with the the guys or girls that she wanted to hook up with later in the night and she just felt angry she had to deal with these two kids. But You know all the bad guys. Vincent D'Onofrio. The more and more I see of him, I really like him. I think his character was a bit silly. I didn't see why he was so hell bent on getting his Velociraptors to save Jurassic World when I'm sure there's a million other ways that could have been worked out if he just, you know, stopped to think. Owen Grady, uh, Chris Pratt, Owen Grady, I thought was, you know, is a really good guy, down to earth. uh, As is his um, sidekick, played by Omar Sy. Bryce Dallas Howard's my fiance had quite a bit of an issue with her character, mainly for running in the high heels so fast and for so long. But for me, for me, the high heels were the kind of the least of the problem. I've heard a lot of
0: people complain about the running in high heels scene in this film. And I, I really, I, I completely agree with you. Of all the problems that I have with Jurassic World, that just really wasn't one of them. And it's the kind of sort of silly detail that, uh, you, you know, I think it's a bit, you're wasting energy if you get kind of caught up on that kind of stuff yeah. sometimes, and uh, so I I wasn't really uh, too fussed about it. But uh, I I kind of agree with you a bit about Vincent D'Onofrio's character. It just felt it didn't really feel as if the film needed that particular subplot. That I, I was thinking about it, and it just seemed that the film could have worked you know entirely well really without that particular plot. And or if you were going to have him in there, I mean I don't know what you thought about it, but his idea of Using these raptors as battlefield weapons just seemed to to me so laughably ridiculous that <laughs> <laughs> that it, it, it was it, you know I just I just it just wasn't really I was ge- I was getting caught up on the kind of you know the believableness of that as a motivation for him.
1: It's one of those things where I you know I love a lot of kind of sci-fi films, but it has to work within whatever story he's trying to portray. It has to work within the confines of the setting. So when Vincent's trying to get Owen Grady to say, let's train these Velociraptors up for war, I'm just thinking, it doesn't make sense, Vincent. It doesn't make sense. Just just stop and think about it. Well, someone did tell me that an early sort of script
0: draft of this film did include a scene of parachuting raptors with machine guns. So they clearly did have some sort of conception of actually trying to make that angle work but uh i think i'm glad that they decided to uh to ditch the uh parachuting raptors with machine guns
1: well i dis- i actually want to see how that would have played <laughs> out i really want to see I'm, I'm excited i hope that's in the next version in the next film <laughs>
0: Sadly, we never get to see the uh, the sort of raptors go on a machine gun rampage, but we do get to see plenty of other sort of dinosaurs carving up the park. Uh, what did you make of the kind of various set pieces that we uh, saw in this film?
1: Not to re the same point again, but when there's a lot of times where you just thought, ah, CGI dinosaur doing some bad stuff. Lots of CGI dinosaurs flying around now and they're going to cause mayhem. A lot of the set pieces were, were really vivid and loud and thumping and thunderous. And again, I'm going to harp back to the first one, but they'd never, they never felt like the kind of tense, tight moments like you had in the first one where, where the velociraptors were in the kitchen, for example. I never felt on edge. I never felt really in any kind of jeopardy whilst watching this film. And the Indominus Rex just felt invincible all the way through. I mean, what are your thoughts on the? On the set pieces.
0: I'd agree with you about sort of some of the set pieces in this film in the sense that and I think a lot quite a few films fall foul of this in the the sense especially sequels which always seem to feel the need to be bigger than the previous one and tense moments don't, you know those tense and dramatic moments don't need to be huge. You can make something tense if you set the scene up in the right way. Just whether somebody can Get to a door in time can be really, really tense. And as you saying, I think perfect example. Like as you you pulled out from the first Jurassic part, that kitchen scene is great, where the you know the kids hiding in uh, one of the kitchen cupboards, and you know the the dinosaurs you know sort of creeping round,
1: and you just think, is it gonna is it gonna find this kid or not? And well, even before that, it's is the Velociraptor gonna open that door? Just just by seeing it playing with that door handle, your your heart's suddenly like skipping a beat and you're on edge, you're on the edge of your chair. Well, we've touched
0: on it in a couple of points already, but I wanted to ask you about the kind of special effects in this film. And when Jurassic Park came out, it was considered something as sort of a a game changer. How do you think, you know, do you think the effects in this film have the same impact um, as in uh, the first film?
1: For me, I would have liked some more practical effect. There's only one scene where, where Owen uh, Grady, Chris Pratt's character, and Bryce Dallas Howard's character were driving around, and they came across a dinosaur. I don't know the name of it. looked like a Diplodocus type thing, and that was lying on the floor. And uh Chris Pratt was, you know, picked up. You can see there's, he was physically touching touching the dinosaur. But then he had a few other scenes where he had the Velociraptors, like in the with the heads in the cage, which seemed like a strange contraption. Anyway, I didn't understand why that existed. But those were CGI characters. The CGI looks absolutely outstanding, but it still looked like it was computer generated. So, I'm not sure how well it will stand up further down the line.
0: Okay, but you, th- you feel that Jurassic Park stands up?
1: There's some parts that, you know, that's clearly kind of takes you out of the scene a bit. But the, you know, when, in Jurassic Park, when the, the T-Rex comes down to the side of the car and you see its eye, its pupils dilate for the first time, you know, there's no way that's not going to feel real, you know, further down the line. I think, I think that's got a lot of, uh, a few decades before you start to, even think about feeling old and dated.
0: So I'm just trying to sort of pin down what it is that you feel makes the CGI in in Jurassic Park have a bit more of a timeless quality, and what is it about the kind of CGI in Jurassic World that you feel probably won't date quite as well?
1: I think in Jurassic Park, they they mixed in CGI with live animatronics much, much more. They only used the CGI when physically you had the whole dinosaur moving at a kind of great pace. And with the animatronic side of things, you could, you could, like, you could feel the heft of the T-Rex as it's slamming its feet down whilst it's chasing the car. When you have the, the endonymous Rex running, there is a kind of, um, and this is, this is typical of all CGI when you, when you're trying to copy the way an animal or a human moves. It's the, it's the fluidity is almost too fluid and there's no weight to, there's no weight to the, so the footsteps they try and mask it with heavy sounds and heavy uh, sound effects on top of it but it still doesn't kind of give you the gravitational kind of bounce and heft each time as a step
0: yeah i know the phenomena that you're talking about and i'm not a a luddite in these things i i really don't mind cgi and i thought what we saw in jurassic world was was really well done and um uh, I, I don't, I'm a bit more optimistic that it will date a bit better than uh, what you suspect it may do. Uh, but I saw this film in the cinema in 3D and I really felt the, the 3D added very little to to the film, and um, I well, actually I don't know if, if they filmed it as 3D or whether it was a post-conversion to 3D. I'm
1: sure I've heard an interview with uh, Colin Trevorrow saying it was a retrofitted uh, 3D. Right, that makes sense, because some scenes
0: it really was sort of... It, it's a hard thing to sort of describe verbally, but it just didn't look right. Like it just seemed as if um, somebody had cut out certain objects and then just brought them further nearer towards the camera. It just felt a very sort of, <laughs> felt a very sort of contrived, like pointlessly trying to give depth to, to a particular scene. And it just made it look weird. And yeah. it's the most irritating thing in the film is, is when details take you out of the film. And, you know, I don't want to be thinking about. You know, oh, what's going on here? You know, rather than what uh, what, what's going on between the characters or what's going on with the story.
1: That's the crux of my point: is that some of the details just kept on taking me out of the film, so it it couldn't I couldn't really settle into the flow so much.
0: So they're already talking about. Uh, making a sequel to jurassic world i think it's actually been announced uh, 20-
1: 2018 it comes out
0: okay well i'll I'll, uh, I'll put that in my calendar but uh where do you think the film can go from here because obviously we've had four of these films now how much more mileage do you think there is in this whole sort of dinosaurs eating people business
1: the thing we have here is that it's the biggest film this year by a country mile isn't it so they're going to flog it until it dies not that i'm saying flog it because the film is it is a good film and i and I'm hoping not coming across as, you know, a spoil sport, but it is a good film. I'm just, you know, a big lover of the first one, but the guys in, in Hollywood and the guys in the films are so, so creative. I personally have no idea where they're going to take it because we're left at the end with the T-Rex who was on his last legs and blue, the, uh, the, the beta velociraptor who kind of said, said, uh, goodbye to Chris Pratt and the family and then uh, sauntered off. So where that goes, I have no idea. We have to maybe follow, think about following Benedict Wong and his side of things as to what's going to happen with the embryos. It'll be interesting to see what kind of timescale it will be set in, whether they set it within, you know, three years from now or if they're going to set it 20 years down the line.
0: I do question... How much more mileage they can get out of it? I agree with you. They're going to make it because it just made too much money, and mm. they want another bite of that cherry. So we're going to get a, a sequel, whether they've got a good idea for the story or, or whether they, whether they've got a stinker for one. But <laughs> you know, we've already had four films essentially on the sort of this island where all this stuff happens. And can we really wring another story out of this one island? I I say I just
1: I I don't know. There are I, more. I, I, I'm scratching my head as to what what direction it could feasibly go in. Like I said, I think that the timescale that they're going to use will have to be a big factor.
0: Maybe they'll dust off the whole uh, parachuting, machine gun armed uh, Raptors. Maybe they'll dust off that idea, and we'll finally uh, we'll finally get that.
1: I really, I really hope so. I think it'd be a great one.
0: <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about the exploding helicopter action in Jurassic World.
1: Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at incessionfilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you.
0: Welcome back. As promised, this is the part of the show where we talk about the exploding helicopter action. The key scene happens after Indominus Rex starts wreaking havoc across the park. That prompts the park's owner and amateur helicopter pilot Simon Mizrani to jump into a chopper with a couple of soldiers to locate the mutant dinosaur. After opening fire on the beast, it runs into a giant dinosaur Avery, The frenzied birds fly out of a hole that's been created and start to attack the helicopter. One spears its beak through the chopper's windscreen and there's inevitable panic in the cockpit and the chopper spirals out of control. Crashing through the roof of the giant glass dome before exploding on impact with the ground. Kobe, what did you make of the chopper fireball action here?
1: I thought it was uh, spectacular, actually. I thought it was a really good, really good exploding helicopter scene. And that's really why I chose this film, because what happens after it is really predicated by how the helicopter explodes. When the, um, they're chasing the Indominus Rex and they start shooting at it and it crashes through the Avery and you get a few kind of curious uh, of the of the flying dinosaurs that come out and that's what attacks the helicopter but it's only when the helicopter smashes through the the greenhouse and explodes then that's when really that the mayhem ensues properly and all the birds all the flying dinosaurs fly out of that hole from the top isn't it
0: yeah i really enjoyed this one and it kind of this this i felt the scene really developed in kind of like a, a really interesting way as you you kind of uh, i think anyone who's watched enough Exploding helicopter films knew that this helicopter wasn't going to come out of this sequence, uh, in one, in one piece. The whole scene sort of developed nicely with the, with birds actually sort of coming out to be the kind of instigators of the uh, helicopter's demise. And they were, uh, they, they took on that chopper without too much fear for considering they'd probably never seen one in their, uh, in their lives
1: before. They were absolutely fearless, weren't they? Just took it. They just went straight for it, as if it was some kind of giant flying—I don't know what—they eat, moth. <laughs> <laughs> they just thought oh, that's flying. I want a bit of that, and they just dive straight at it, in spite of the fact you had the uh, ACU, the Asset Containment Unit guys, which is uh, <laughs> the Asset Containment Unit guys firing minigun bullets at them. They just had no fear whatsoever. There were so many of them as well, so. I like the way it built up, like I said, with a few of them just coming out tentatively and then flying up towards a helicopter. And you see Mizrani, uh, who's flying the flying the helicopter, he is no one was happy with him in that helicopter and as soon as he said as soon as someone said, We need to get the helicopter in the air and he said, I'm gonna do it, that's when we all knew that it was gonna come down at some point and and what a way it comes down, what a way it explodes and what a way it sets off the the rest of the film really isn't it
0: yes and we get to see one of the tropes of the exploding helicopter genre played out in a slightly sort of new and distinct way so uh, it's very common to see a, a hero or a villain um, silhouetted by an exploding chopper and uh, here we got to see Indominus Rex kind of run away from the exploding whirlybird in in a in a way which be very familiar but we've never seen a sort of dinosaur illuminated by an exploding helicopter before, <laughs> Not at so all. I enjoyed that immensely.
1: I I did know that it didn't turn back. It didn't look at the explosion. It just thought it just thought that's gone down, I'm good, let's get on with it. Bad guys don't look at explosions.
0: This is the first film that I've seen with a dinosaur kind of related uh, exploding helicopter in it. I have heard rumours that another one exists and there was uh, I think one of these asylum type sort of cheap knockoff companies whistled out a film called Jurassic City uh which I think features an exploding helicopter in there and I think that came out slightly before Jurassic World so that may have first uh, that may have dibs on being the first film ever to feature a kind of Dinosaur-related exploding helicopter, but I, I still need to get to that film to kind of uh, to check out its credentials.
1: But it's not always who gets there first; it's who, it's who does it best. Will and I can't see how anyone could do it better with in the way it ensued here. When we talked about the the nanny character the, and this and the uh, set pieces, I didn't want to mention this one straight away because this is where the evil nanny, quote unquote. Gets her comeuppance for being evil with the perhaps the most horrific death of the whole Jurassic series, as far as I can, as, as far as I know, where she's picked up by this escaping dinosaur birds, tossed around like a tennis ball, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thrown into the water, and then they and then they keep and hacking at her still, don't they? Like a flock of seagulls mm. just diving into the water until you get the big whale dinosaur who finally puts an end to her. So that couldn't have happened without the helicopter.
0: Yeah, because it obviously played a crucial part in setting up. Possibly the most famous scene of the uh, Jurassic Park series. So yeah, uh, yeah I think uh, people should remember the uh, exploding helicopter's key role in in setting up some of uh, some of the more
1: most famous scenes in this film. Did she deserve uh, to die, Will, in the, in the way she did, though?
0: I didn't feel that she had done. no oh, she hadn't done nearly enough to die <laughs> it in in a way <laughs> well, that horrible.
1: One thing I want to ask you, Will, is we see the helicopter quite early on in the film when Mizrani is flying it with Bryce Dallas Howard. And there's that old kind of adage that plays out that's supposed to play out with guns, where if you see a gun in the first act, you know it's going to be fired at some point in the third act. So based on your experience, does that pan out for helicopters? If you see a helicopter in the first act, do you know it's going to explode at some point in the third act?
0: Yeah, I think you've picked up on something really interesting here, and I think you can definitely extrapolate that old adage about guns uh, through to the medium of exploding helicopters uh, with one slight wrinkle I think you have to they have to make a slight play on the helicopter if it's just doing something if it's just serving a really practical purpose like delivering a character from one location to another and they get out and they walk away and the kind of the action of the film continues then I I kind of think all bets are off but in this film we, we see the helicopter in the first act, and there's a little bit too much played of it, and we kind of learn that Masrani is a kind of amateur pilot. He's still learning how to, to fly the helicopter, and he's a, he's a little bit sort of dodgy with it. And,
1: and there's over, no, overconfident as well with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that, that, so you kind of know, well, this is clearly setting something up to happen in the future. And when you mentioned this, a, a, a particular example immediately came into my mind. Um, I don't know if you've seen... The film *Angels and Demons*. The Tom Hanks.
1: No, I haven't seen the follow-up to uh, Da Vinci Code*.
0: That's right. Yeah, it's the follow-up to *The Da Vinci Code*. So you have Tom Hanks in that film. You also have Ewan McGregor playing a kind of character who is a prospective pope. And so you see, you meet him very early in the film. He's dressed up in his in his in his cassock, and he's got his hands hands clasped in sort of prayer. And for absolutely no reason at all, he sort of mentions the fact that he used to be in the army, which is puzzling enough and then then Jen just throws in oh yes I used to fly helicopters there and you're just thinking why are we, why are we learning this? And oh, obviously <laughs> alarm bells were, were sort of going off in my head. And, uh, and sure enough, later in the film, we see, uh, an exploding helicopter and, uh, Ewan McGregor's helicopter flight skills are uh, inevitably sort of called into, uh, called into action. So I think that, yeah, yeah, there's definitely, if we see the, we see a helicopter in the first act and if somebody Makes reference to it or sort of talks about it or, you know, there'll be a little hint. Um, there'll be just, if it's doing something, anything more than a kind of purely functional sort of transportation role, I think we can be pretty confident that it's going to blow up at some point in the uh, future.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to pay close attention to anything, uh, that even mentions a helicopter randomly out of, you know, out of left field.
0: Telltale sign.
1: Dead giveaway. why, why, Why do you say that? And then later in the film, kaboom.
0: Well, I think that about wraps things up for this show. Kobe, thanks for joining me to discuss Jurassic World.
1: Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: If you've enjoyed listening to us blether on, then I'd recommend you go and check out the Exploding Helicopter website immediately. Whatever you do, don't delay, because otherwise I I worry that you'll find something more productive to do instead. Alternatively, you can check us out on Facebook, Tumblr or Twitter. We'll be back soon. Uh, So until then, keep watching the skies for those Exploding Helicopters.